And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. To help make your dreams come true, Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at richarddugan.com, as well as podcasting the broadcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and other locations where folks are reposting the interviews. And thank you for doing that. I, I greatly appreciate it. I know there are all kinds of places we could put our, 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 our RSS feed say that three times fast uh, and uh, put the code in there and all of that stuff and continue to expand. But um, you know, it's great. I'm grateful for those of you who are doing that for us. And uh, so more power to you. Keep doing it. I appreciate it. Uh, We'll also be giving you our guests website here shortly so that you can find out more about what our guest is doing, the work they're doing as well as pardon me, as well as uh, uh, getting a, a jump on your continued evolutionary transformational process. So please, uh, uh, please go to their website. We are linked to them. And uh, we're actually very excited about that, uh, about that fact. We have a special guest on the program today who is going to join us here in celebrating 2020, the year of perfect vision, going within, finding that still, quiet, peaceful, calm place that we all need. I could do that for hours, probably. That might be my meditation. I don't know. Needless to say, we're also looking for guidance, inspiration, insight, a little support when we need it to to reaffirm what we already know. Uh, We're going to talk today more about health and well-being regarding seven lessons for living from the dying. Karen Wyatt, doctor. I guess I have to sit up straight. Doctor. Thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You know, uh, we, we talk a lot about health and wellness and so forth, and uh, it's, it's critical because, as they say, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Uh, and today, in this time, uh, there are many people who don't have their health. There are many people who don't have their mental health their emotional health, and even their spiritual, let alone their physical health. And they don't have anything wrong with them. It's because they are stressing over the possibility. Now, I don't know whether this is true or not, but I received a phone call at the station from a woman who said she just saw a report that said that 300 testing stations in Florida have reported 100% positive cases, test test cases. Mm -hmm. A hundred percent. Now, again, I don't know if that's true or not, but what I do know is that I'm tired of hearing people talk about their individual rights when the community is hurting so badly. And, um, you know, and I want to be gentle even with those folks to say, look, we're all in this together. And quite honestly, we're either on the Titanic, okay, or we're on a carnival cruise ship. Take your choice. It's it's really up to you. When you start to look at the ways of living, and of course, one of our slogans is looking for those new ways of living, because just look around you, the old ways don't work. But you're getting your source information, so to speak, from those who, uh, what, are, are terminal? Yes, from patients at the very end of life. So, 
usually in hospice, we're working with people who have at most a couple of months to live. So mm. spending time with them, listening to their stories and hearing from them what from that vantage point of the end of life, what they feel was important and what really mattered in their lives. And it's amazing how your perspective changes when you actually are at that point, when you know you're at the end. What if we changed our perspective, you and I, and said, well, okay, I understand the definition here as you describe it of terminal, but isn't it the reality that we're all terminal? Exactly, exactly. Which is, that's one of the reasons I wrote this book, is to remind everyone that we, we shouldn't be waiting until we're on our deathbeds to figure out what life is about. We should figure it out now. And one of the ways to do that is to accept the fact that all of us are going to die and not one of us knows exactly when that will happen. It could happen at any time. We don't know. So we're all just like those terminal patients. We're really all in that same place. And now with COVID-19, I think that brings brings that information home to us. Oh, yeah. Any one of us could die at any time. Mm-hmm. But as soon as we accept that fact, suddenly all of life becomes so much more precious because if I only have a couple of days left, I don't want to waste a moment of, of that time. I want to make it count for something. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm my father, who I quote quite often on this program, and it's usually the same couple of quotes. Uh, he shared with me a long time ago. He also doesn't like to be called um, a wise man, you know, and I consider him a pretty wise guy. Not a wise guy, but a wise individual. And he said, eat, drink, and be merry in moderation because nobody gets out of this world alive. Now, depending upon your beliefs in philosophy, there may have been one. Uh, but um, uh, other than that, the, the, the reality is that as human beings, th- this, this is the process. And I, we've talked about that, the process of uh, death and dying, or I like to call it transforming or transitioning. Okay. Because mm-hmm. there's less negative charge to the, the, that word. Um, and so you wrote this particular work on how uh, to um, how to nurture what really matters. But what I'm noticing, in spite of maybe we need these different movements that are going on today, maybe we need these protests. I don't know. Um, I mean, there are even I mean, there are different movements for just about anything. You can find a group to go out and march in the streets for, you know, uh, all the way up to, and I know mean, mean no disrespect, folks, even up, we're going to protest tight underwear, okay? Uh, we don't want it anymore, okay? So we need to get the manufacturers in line. But the thing is, is that when we're in that state, it seems to me that that's a very stressful state, even as important as the causes might be as relevant and as necessary, that's not doing a lot for our health, is it? Or is that a good way for us to be sort of venting and releasing that energy that could actually do us harm? I think it depends on how we go about our actions. And so 
what I always tell people is if you can be free of fear and anger as you're moving forward in your life, if it's if you feel a desire to protest or be an activist about some cause, but it doesn't come from fear and it doesn't come from being angry, but it comes out of a place of love and commitment and a belief that this is really the right thing to happen, I don't think that can cause you harm. But I do feel concerned for people who are just overwhelmed with their own anger and can't get out of it. And they're, they're taking it out and expressing it rather than dealing with it and, and moving forward with it or using their anger to create change within themselves first. Well, I know we've talked a great deal on this program over the years. And by the way, we are celebrating our 13th anniversary in the month of September. And we've talked an awful lot about how our thoughts and our emotions impact our health. Were you given advice by these folks that you interviewed? I'm sure uh, there what hundreds of them. Mm-hmm. Yes, hundreds. Who who um, acknowledged that if they were uh, going out of natural causes, okay, as opposed to a terminal disease like cancer, Alzheimer, et cetera, et cetera, Alzheimer's, and so forth. Were they able to acknowledge they did it to themselves, so to speak, because they understood, I just, um, I should have known better than to hold on to that resentment towards my ex-wife or ex-husband or my children or my boss, on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, one, one of the most common things I heard from people is, from from where I'm looking right now, Love is the most important thing I could have worked on during my life and forgiveness. I should have let go of some of the things I got upset about. And people often talked about how they'd carried a grudge for 20 years against someone and wishing that they had just gotten rid of that immediately and they could see the toll that it took on them and also the amount of life force that they wasted being, being angry and resentful towards someone. I remember uh, uh, this probably, I hope it never leaves me. Uh, This was a gentleman who I grew up with uh, through grade school and high school, watching him on television, kind of wanting to be him. Um, And of course, then after the, after I got into my teens and twenties, he kind of disappeared, but he popped in every so uh, every so often, suffered the loss of his, one of his brother's along the way, and then not too long ago, and I want to say two or three years ago, if that, David Cassidy died, but they released his final words, which were so utterly profound. And they were, and I quote, so much wasted time. And it's amazing that he, and in that place at that time, acknowledged for himself, I'm sure that's who he was speaking about, that he felt as though he had wasted so much time. But that's true in one sense of all of us. And yet I have come to grips with whatever I didn't get a chance to do or whatever I didn't do, I didn't do. But I did a lot of other stuff. 
And I tried to help people through this program in another fashion, other ways. Um, is, is it something that we need to work on in terms of changing our perspective about how we've lived our lives? And that isn't to say that maybe we shouldn't. Uh, if we feel like we want to... I want to skydive on my bucket list. I want to skydive or hang glide or I want to go down 50 fathoms into the deep and do all of these different things. Um, You know, rather than rushing around like some people do, which, you know, if that's what you feel you need to do, fine. You think maybe we need to work on that perspective a little bit and, and how might we do that? Yeah, what I came to learn from just from being with my patients is that it isn't really that there's a list of things that you're supposed to do or accomplish during your lifetime. It's more about becoming the best person you can be, given whatever whatever you were given when you came here to this planet, whatever traits and qualities you have, whatever flaws you have and weaknesses, it's really about becoming the best person you can be. And when you focus on that as your primary goal, I wanna be my best self and my highest self, then it doesn't really matter if you go skydiving or not, but if skydiving is part of helping you become your best self, great, do it. But it isn't that there's, there's a list or that you even need to make a list. It's almost like being in the flow of life being present, going from one moment to the next, and doing your best, making the best of each thing that comes along. Because for some of my patients, you know, they had grand dreams. Of, some of them were young. They were 30 years old and had grand dreams of what they wanted to do and accomplish in their lives. Then they were stricken with a terminal illness and had to accept that my life is not going to be at all what I thought it would be or what I planned on, or what I wanted. So how do I make what I have here be the best it can be? You know, it's funny because my uh, my present wife has asked me on numerous occasions, kind of wish she'd stop asking, but I'll answer every time she asks, if I have a bucket list, to which I say, no, I do not have a bucket list. I mean, I've already done things in this life I never thought I was going to in the first place. I've been to Ireland twice. I was able to move to the coast to where the water was. I didn't think it was going to be Santa Barbara. It could have been the East Coast for all I know. Not sure I'd want to go to the South Coast, uh, the Gulf area there. I I think I want to stay away from that. Although the East Coast isn't that much safer sometimes. (laughs) Um, You know, I've, I've had certain experiences that, like I said, I never thought I would ever have. And I don't regret at this point with not having done certain things. Would I want to skydive? Eh, maybe. Hang glide? Eh, maybe. I've flown in small planes, very small planes, where you cannot, cannot, unless you're outside the cockpit, you cannot social distance. <laughs> um, and had a great time doing those things. And um, so I, I, at the, you know, I, I also feel regret is kind of a wasted emotion because what that says is I wish I had or hadn't done. I wish I could change things, but then you end up changing the person you are in the present moment. You are not the person that you, that you uh, would have become without those experiences. And if you're feeling good about the fact that, Oh man, at least I learned the, this particular lesson or that lesson 
boy, that's uh, then okay. Then that experience, I'm glad I went through that. Uh, did you find there was much regret in the lives of the people you interviewed? Well, interestingly, yes, some people had regret, especially those people who had held a lot of anger and resentment throughout their lives and who had disrupted relationships with people that were actually important to them but had decided to just end those relationships. And a lot of them tried at the the last few weeks of life to make amends and reconnect with people because they realized that it was important. So those people experienced regret. And interestingly, one woman experienced regret who had, she had been a vegan all of her life and had exercised all the time. She meditated. She, she led a really strict life trying to be as healthy as she could. And she ended up getting cancer in spite of all of her best efforts. She believed that by leading that lifestyle, she would never get cancer because she was doing everything she could do to be healthy, ended up with cancer and then said, what was I thinking? Like, you can't really control something like that. And here I spent my whole life adhering to this strict regimen. And I wish I'd had more fun. I wish I, and I wish I'd, I wish I'd, I'd enjoyed myself more instead of being so rigid, thinking I was going to control my future and my destiny. I'm curious, was the phrase actually, I'm living this lifestyle uh, because I don't want to get cancer? Well, more, she said, I've, I have, my intention has been to be as healthy as I could be. And I've always believed that I will not be someone who gets a chronic illness or a terminal illness because I'm doing everything everyone has said keeps you healthy. But it's in a way she was doing it for the wrong reason. She was living a lifestyle she didn't enjoy that much, but in her mind, she was doing it in hopes that she would, would stay healthy. You know, I can tell you right now that she set it up. She did that to herself. I mean, that's my observation based upon what I've learned over my scant, very brief 60 years on this planet. Uh, And uh, it kind of goes with the law of attraction. Because if, as as many, many are taught, um, you would like to have a bank account that's full that's the way you want to phrase it rather than, uh, I don't want debt. I want to get rid of my debt. Mm-hmm. The universe doesn't hear the, I want to get rid of all the universe hears is debt and it piles it on. Uh, and now that's just, that's just a theory. You know, there are some people who believe that and then there are others who, who don't. And it's like, you've got these folks, let's say in, uh, in the deepest, darkest parts of Russia, you, you get these stories of these 120-year-old people. Well, what is it that you've done uh, to keep uh, state live so long? And every day they have at least, let's just say, they have uh, 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 a glass of vodka and a cigar. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. That's, that's not in the pyramid of, of foods that we're supposed <laughs> to eat. But... They're 120 years old. It's amazing. And we have some folks in this country, too, who they, they're, they're living lives that we might consider a little detrimental, like, you know, the consumption of the alcohol and the tobacco and, and, and all these kinds of things. And yet they just live for years. My, dad's a, my dad is 89 this year, mother 86, still doing well. 
I was wanting to travel out to Phoenix to visit them on my dad's birthday, on my mother's birthday, but they both asked me not to. So I, I, I'm not going to do that. I didn't do that. And I, because I don't, I don't want to be responsible if mm-hmm. maybe I were to test positive and I'm asymptomatic. I don't want to be responsible for my, my parents. I want my parents to go out the way my parents want to go out, you know? And I, and that goes to what something else that you said too, about, you know, people interfering with uh, in other people's lives and kind of regretting it. Well, there you go. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with, then I got to deal with my siblings and, <laughs> and all of that, all of that stuff. Now you talk about in this book, and I want to get into some of these seven lessons, but you talk about coping with loss and grief. We talked a little bit about that. Uh, facing our mortality. We'll talk more about that. Finding love and joy in the midst of sorrow. And this I like, transforming uh, fear into spiritual growth. Now, one of the things I have been studying for the last few years is this concept of duality. Mm-hmm. And I know it's real easy to go through the long list of this and that, this and that, this and that, this and that. But as I use the analogy of looking out at the cosmos, the macrocosmic world, and we go ooh and ah when we see stuff explode and crash and light up and do all of the incredible things that the universe just does. And none of it's good or bad. It just, it's just, it just is. Mm-hmm. That's like saying that the blood that is flowing through my veins is, I, I, I pass judgment on it as good or bad. It just is. Or my heart beating. And then you look at the microcosmic world through the electron microscope and you see the same kind of activity as you see at the macro level. And we ooh and we ah. And we're mar- we marvel at, at creation's uh, design. Okay. And so when I take a look at some of these things, and I agree with you, and I, I couldn't agree with you more about this transforming fear into spiritual growth, um, let's talk a little bit about that in terms of, uh, because a lot of people right now, that's just, they've got a heaping helping of fear right now. And someone sent me an email saying that there is a greater virus out there than, uh, coronavirus. And that's ignorance, fear, and lack of faith. So let's mm-hmm. talk about fear and how we go about transforming that into spiritual growth that allows us maybe even to release that fear and, and, and use that energy for something else. Yeah, I think, well, the way I look at it from the work I've done, the ultimate fear is the fear of death. And I think our society is so almost allergic to the idea of death, but also to fear in general, that our whole society is built around how to avoid the reality that we will die one day, and to avoid the reality that sometimes things happen to us that we don't want to happen. So I think that's part of our materialism, our consumerism in our society. We're constantly trying to accumulate more things to prove to us that we're solid and stable and and to try to to buy our way out of being mortal, out, out of being of death and dying. And yet 
what I learned is that as soon as you can accept the fact that, okay, as mortal beings, it's frightening to think of the unknown and what will happen when we die. But if we stop avoiding it and just look at it and study it and sit with it, which is what the the um, Tibetan Buddhists do, they have a practice of thinking about death five times a day. If we can allow ourselves to just think about it and contemplate the fact that we will die and move through that fear, we can actually get on the other side of it. And then we're not expending so much energy trying to repress our fear or trying to to live outside of the fear. We can move through the fear. And on the other side of it, we find actually a lot of peace and joy once once we get past it. Hmm. Well, it is kind of like going through a tunnel. You can't go around it. You can't go over it or under it. You, you got to go through the tunnel. And if the tunnel's exactly. fear, you know, even if the tunnel's joy and happiness, I mean, we will gladly go through that tunnel. Um, yeah, it's that's very interesting. I I have to say that that one of the things that has helped me, for example, and working through, say, fear of uh, financial ruin, you know, mm-hmm. uh, has been the mindset at the time of the mental stress is, oh my God, uh, there's no way that I can pay all of this and it's over. It's just over. And yet every month I find a way to pay it or not, or what I do, whatever it is that I do. And I move on to the next month and the next month. And uh, finally it dawned on me that I kept doing this every month and I was still here. And it told me, oh, you know what? Uh, maybe I should just let that go and just, they're just numbers. Not a big deal because even if I were to transmute, uh, tra- transform to the next world, what are they going to do? Chase me? You know? <laughs> I mean, they tell you you can't take it with you. And, uh, you know, and um, they can't come and get it from you when you're gone. <laughs> so let it go, let it rest, and just do the best you can. And I have and to tell I think you, that, go ahead. I was going to say, that's a good point that the fear a lot of times is really in our minds. Our own minds are creating the story of fear and generating that for us. Mm-hmm. And if we can take a step back and look at it, we realize, what do I have to be afraid of? My, the evidence tells me I have survived everything that's happened so far because I'm still here. So I, I don't have to, I don't have to keep generating all of this fear about what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, yeah, you know, the acronym is false evidence appearing real. Mm-hmm. And that also ties into something else that we've been getting into. And I'm curious, too, as to uh, your your interviewers, interviewees, I guess, uh, having to do with belief. Now, mm-hmm. on this program, we've learned through one of our guests that a belief is a lie. A belief is a lie. You choose to believe it even if facts, science, your experience says it's true. Mm-hmm. I have a sister, elder sister. We uh, did a little experiment one Easter Sunday. At least uh, I was sort of sort of drawn into it. Uh, had, a, had, had They had me lay down on the bed and they would scan me with their hands. Uh, could be considered kinesiology. Uh, and so forth. And my sister admitted that when she ran her hand above, never touched me, above my throat, her hands would heat up. 
Now, between you and me, that's a real surprise, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) She would not acknowledge the reality of that energy because of her Mm. beliefs. Mm -hmm. Well, even myself, I worked for a Christian station for 15 years. And within that period, I was a firm believer in the fact that there was a heaven and a hell and a real devil. Took me five years to let that go. To realize for me, bear in mind, this is for me, not true. Absolutely not true. With the people you interviewed, did they share with you some of the beliefs that they came to realize maybe weren't true? Or they finally found the truth of that particular matter through facts and science or something of this nature? Yes, it was interesting. Some of the people who had been devoutly religious, adhering you know, to one religion and being faithful to that church, actually told me that they had this realization that, that there is no one religion and that every, every religion or every way that people have of connecting with God is, is right and real and true and that it doesn't that there's no one religion or way of being with god that's better than another which was really amazing to me and profound that they that they had that realization kind of a vision that came to them as they were dying and um, a few others had the realization that that the process they were going through was really beautiful. And even though they had always been afraid that there was a hell and they might go to hell, there was no sign of it in these last days of their lives. And all they were aware of is that there was light and love and beauty waiting for them on the other side. And so they were they were having these experiences that were showing that to them. And it was erasing the belief they had had that there might be a hell. Wow. Wow. Uh, You know, when I have spoken with folks uh, who have a particular belief system uh, and um, they share with me their perspective on things, I had one one gentleman on this program, born again, fundamentalist, Bible-believing Christian, who actually practiced out-of-body experiences. Now, I've read the Bible, cover to cover. I don't see anywhere in there where it says you do that, okay? Uh, Because that's, to me, that translates into that's the process of death when you leave your body. Mm -hmm. And according to the book, it is appointed for every man once to die and then the judgment. But if you use that definition... In this gentleman's experience, he's dying over and over and over again. And he keeps coming back. Because it, from his perspective, it serves him. Hmm. And I find it interesting how people dismiss the experiences. And that, that maybe is still part of what we're talking about here. In, in that, um, were there experiences they shared with you that they finally accepted actually did happen? Supernatural, spiritual... Or otherwise? Yes, many patients at the very end of life start having supernatural experiences, you could call it, start seeing visions or hearing voices of of people they've loved. Some of them start seeing light, seeing light showing up in their room in various places. And for many of them, it, it was profound because they knew that 
it was a true experience. They knew that it was real, that it was really happening to them, uh, even if they've never believed that that was possible before. They they knew that their loved one had been in the room with them. It, it was real, and it had actually happened in their minds. And so, so that was a, a really powerful experience to witness them going through that and hearing the stories they would tell. And, you know, it's interesting how it didn't sink in until they reached that stage where you had the opportunity to meet them, mm-hmm. you know, uh, instead of earlier on. Because who knows where that might have led them in their lives? I mean, I just feel so fortunate to have met the people I have in my life uh, and the experiences that I've had. Uh, and, and so I'm just curious uh, uh, about that aspect of sharing these these stories of uh, those experiences. Yeah, that was actually one of the motivations for writing this book, because one of the patients said to me, if only I had known what I have just come to realize about life. Um, if I had known this 20 years ago, it would have changed everything about how I lived my life. Mm. And he said, but here I am at the very end of life. And he said, I'm grateful that I'm learning it now and I'm experiencing it now. But he said, but the, what I regret the most is that I won't be able to tell anyone else about this. I oh. won't be able to teach anyone else. And then he said to me, would you tell my story? Would oh. you be able to tell this story and write it for other people? And in that moment, I knew, like, I need to write, I need to write this. I need to write all the stories of patients who, who've shared the, this information with me. Wow. So, wow. so that's inspired me. Yeah. That's extraordinary how, okay, I'm not going to be able to do it, but would you? Did that feel initially when they the first person asked you to do that, did that feel a little bit burdensome or were you just like, okay, thank you? No, it actually like lit me up. <laughs> like I instantly felt like, oh, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm supposed to do that. Like that's the truth. That is that is why I'm here. And, and for my own story, for you to understand, the, the reason I got into hospice in the first place is that my father died by suicide. And I had a terrible, terrible journey trying to deal with my grief and guilt over his death, which is what led me into hospice. And the moment that inspiration came to me to start writing about this is when it all came together and it made sense in a way out of my dad's death is what changed my entire life path and brought me into hospice work with the dying. And I was meeting these amazing patients and learning their stories and that there was another step for me to take, which would be to write those stories. So it was like this powerful realization that everything was coming together in that moment. I was seeing that this is this is what the meaning of all of this and this is why I'm here. Mm. Well, I think it's 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 a wonderful story for you to share of your own experiences with these folks and through uh, who are going through this this phase of hospice. Um, and I want to talk about the seven lessons that were learned uh, when we come back uh, from our break. I'm Richard Dugan here with Dr. Karen Wyatt, and uh, we're talking about this extraordinary work that she has put together. 
and it is entitled The Seven Lessons. Let me, uh, okay, I had it up. There it is. Seven Lessons for Living from the Dead. And we are going to talk more about that and find out what the seven lessons are here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for New World. Stay tuned. Tell me your stories. I'll do my best to understand you. And welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, along with uh, my mortal uh, cohort here, uh, Dr. Karen Wyatt. Uh, we have both acknowledged, yes, one day we will both, uh, um, what is it, what's the poem that talks about uh, shedding the mortal coil, something along those lines? Yes. Uh, yes. And then we won't have to worry about TSA and long lines at the train or or uh, driving a car. We'll be able to go anywhere we want, anytime we want, because there'll be no time. It'll be wonderful. Tell me, uh, what are the seven lessons for living that you've learned through the dying? Well, the first lesson um, I titled The Lesson of Suffering, and it's really coming to terms with the fact that life on planet Earth is is really hard, actually. <laughs> life is filled with a lot of different types of suffering and losses that we go through. And again, our society tends to reject that idea and reject the idea that, that we should experience any suffering. But it occurred to me that, that suffering is one of the ways in which we grow and learn new things. Every disappointment we have, every challenge we have, brings us to a point where we have an opportunity to transform and learn and grow. And so I think the beginning of this spiritual journey is simply to acknowledge like suffering in my life has had value and all the times that I've, I'm disappointed about or all the regrets I have about my past life have been opportunities to grow. And I don't have to worry about that anymore. I'm going to move on now and let go of feeling bad about those things I have viewed as negative. And I think what you were saying earlier, it just is, it just is part of my life. So embracing suffering and viewing it as a pathway toward growth and learning and transformation on a spiritual level. And from that lesson, the second lesson is the lesson of love, because love is what actually helps us move past the suffering and find meaning in it. So the more we can focus our attention on how do I be more loving, how do I receive more love, how do I open my heart more to love, that's what helps us get through those difficult times. So, so that, that's the second lesson. And then the third lesson of forgiveness is attached to the lesson of love because the more we love, the more we are required to forgive because the people we love will let us down or disappoint us or hurt us in some way. And we will have to learn to forgive them. And so, so forgiveness is the third lesson. I don't, and I, I can keep going on, but you can interrupt if you want to. No, 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 please continue. So the way it came to me after listening to my patients is that once we learn to practice forgiveness, which is actually a task of a lifetime, really, that, I mean, it takes us a long time to work through forgiveness, what we're actually doing when we forgive is freeing up some of our energy, our life force energy that we have kept stuck and trapped in the past, holding on to negative memories. We've kept all this, these parts of ourselves confined in past old memories and caught up there 
keeping those memories alive and revisiting and reliving negative experiences. And so, so what happens in the fourth lesson after, after forgiveness is being in the present moment and forgiveness helps us get there because we release all of our stuck energy. Everything that was trapped in the past is now freed up and we have this life force energy we can bring into this moment and enjoy each moment of life instead of constantly going back to the past and thinking about it. So the fourth lesson is this lesson of learning how to be in the present moment, we talk about that all the time in spiritual circles, but until you really start working on it and, and noticing how often you're not in the present moment, I think it seems easier to do than you realize and, until you actually start trying to practice it. Um, the lesson, the next lesson, the fifth lesson is purpose, and it's about figuring out and understanding, as I said before, that our real purpose for being here is to just become our best selves, to learn the lessons that are there for us, to learn from our weaknesses and flaws and our disappointments, to learn from our strengths and the gifts we have, and to be the best people we can be, given all of the stuff that was that was handed to us when we were born, our families, our geography, our IQ, whatever, whatever was given to us to become the best person we can be. And it's not so much about choosing a certain career path or a certain job. It's about being the best person we can be. And, and if that leads us to a particular career, that's great. For me, it was being a doctor. But I could still become my best self without being a doctor. I could have chosen a different path and I could still fulfill my purpose and be my best self on a different path. So, so that was the lesson of purpose. Uh, the sixth lesson is the lesson of surrender and learning how to be in the flow of life and to stop, stop creating expectations that lead to disappointment, stop forming attachments that keep us stuck as well, and accepting what comes along for us in the flow of life. And that leads us to the last lesson, which is the lesson of impermanence, which is really a Buddhist concept, just accepting that nothing lasts and everything changes in this physical world. Um, love lasts and our souls, our spirits last, but in the physical world, nothing lasts, nothing stays the same. And when we can also embrace that idea, it frees us up so much more because we, we don't become attached to things um, as, as much as we were in the past, which lets us have more freedom, more joy, and more peace when we're at that place of just letting it be and letting, letting life be, but working diligently to become the best people we are, no matter what happens, no matter what comes to us. So, so those are the seven. <laughs> you know, it's interesting too, especially the one about forgiveness. Um, I, I went through um, uh, three phases uh, as uh, Donald Trump began to run for office. Now, I didn't get sucked in until September of 2016, and it took me six months to get unsucked. And I went through these three phases. Uh, uh, one was, thank you, teacher, for teaching me how not to be. And the second phase was, I forgive you, but more importantly, I forgive myself for allowing myself to be drawn into this quagmire. But it's the third phase that, has meant the most to me 
because I can apply this now to even myself. When I start getting all wound up over whatever's going on, you know, uh, instead of just kind of looking at it and kind of chuckling, yeah, that's that's very funny. Uh, you know, where's the laugh track? Because this is hilarious to watch. And it's kind of sad, too. But the last phase has been, what is it, and this is the question to the person as well as to self, what is it that you are so afraid of that makes you talk and behave the way that you do? I'm not asking you to change. No, far be it. I want to just understand so I can put this to rest and move on with my life, not expending those energies. And that, I have to tell you, if I had known that that was the direction that things were going to go back in January of 2017, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would have started it, but I do know how important it has been for me. Because I don't care anymore. I mean, I genuinely do not care. Now, people say, what do you mean you don't care? There's this, this, that, and the other things going on. You should care. It's like, no, because there's nothing I can do about it. What no. I need to care about is talking with you, doctor, is relating to my wife. It's working with the coworkers here to make sure this is a safe place for us to do our business, to do our work. Uh, it's to be of service to other people through new opportunities that have come up uh, using the Internet. Uh, and the list goes on. It's not about to be wound up over all of this stuff because it doesn't matter. And that's the other aspect of it, too. I'm curious. In these interviews, did any of these folks say to you, I finally realized that all of the rest of the world's problems are irrelevant they, and, and in 10,000 years, who's going to know? And nobody's going to care that you didn't wear a mask, that you didn't make $500,000 a year, that you didn't do this, that, or the... None of it's going to matter. Any, any, any responses like that? Yes, there were some... Particularly patients talked to me about the things they had devoted their time to, they realized don't matter, like having the fanciest car on the block and collecting things and, you know, accumulating material possessions didn't matter. But um, this idea of talking about what really does matter came from patients saying, um, I figured out that love is what matters. Love is the one thing I should have been spending all my time focusing on love and letting everything else go because nothing else is as important as that. Uh, so, yeah, so I guess that kind of answers your question that that's that's what they told me. They wished that they had put all their attention on on loving other people and being the best person they could be. Dr. Karen Wyatt, I thank you so much for joining us here on the program and for sharing uh, all of this great, great stuff with our uh, with us here on Tell Me Your Story. Uh, I have three final questions for you, and before I let you go, I do want to uh, invite you, when we're uh, able to move around much more freely, to uh, uh, come out to Santa Barbara, and uh, we'll we'll uh, do this in studio across a, a counter. Hopefully, we don't have to six uh, we don't have to socially distance, but you know we'll work that out. And um, continue this conversation because I know that there's a lot more than these lessons. Because I would love to, uh, so to speak, pick your brain in terms of. 
some of the modalities that you have chosen over the years that you have found the most beneficial for your patients? And again, I know that you are you're now retired, uh, but I know that there were certain things that, hey, that some things that worked well and other things that didn't. But then again, everybody's an individual and, you know, that's the way that goes. But before we let you go and before I ask you those three questions... I need to let our listeners know that this program is here every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. streaming live at richarddugan.com. The podcast broadcast is on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and uh, Blueberry. I knew there was another one. And we thank you so much for supporting us financially. And if you can do so, we have PayPal and Patreon accounts for your security as well as ours. And we thank those who have supported us and we thank those who will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And to the three final questions that I like to ask all of my guests, you may have answered them during the interview, but I like to ask them directly. The first is, who is Karen Wyatt? Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I would say I'm, I'm a spiritual being who, who came here kind of with a mission to do what I could to share the knowledge that I have, maybe that I've acquired in other lifetimes to bring it to the planet and in hopes of alleviating some of the suffering here. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I hope to I hope to keep writing books because I have more books in my head and I'd like to get those written and to keep spreading messages of love and hope and oh, helping people overcome fear um, for every moment that I have left of my life. And finally, what is your life's purpose? I, I believe that it is to learn ultimately about love, to learn how to give and receive love. And I learn more and more about it every day, including loving the unlovable and loving the hard parts of life as well. Hmm. Dr. Karen Wyatt, and she has shared with us uh, a great uh, set of uh, lessons Seven of them, as a matter of fact, seven lessons for living from the dying. And it is how to nurture what really matters. Uh, my thanks again to you. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast, love to lol. And what about those who might have actually said to you, that, all right, even though I didn't necessarily achieve from their perspective uh, being the best person I could be, it's not over. They believed, believed that there's more to do in the next life. Yeah, some of them had that belief already that there would be that they would move on. Some of them actually devoted their last weeks of life to kind of be, being this new person that they had become, um, to being this person of love and forgiveness and feeling like I still have, there's still enough time, even if I only have a few days, I have enough time to be this person that I've realized it's important to be this this person acting from love and opening my heart and connecting with others. Mm. So um, I'll, 
not many of them had the awareness that they were actually going to another place where they might still have another opportunity, I would say. Mm. Most of them were focusing on the days they still had left in the physical form. And uh, again, along these same lines, were there any who were just flat out scared? Yes, yes, there were a number who were who were scared. And um, as much as we tried to sit with them and talk with them and comfort them, they still had a lot of fears to face. Some of those people were were fearful, I believe, because they still had a notion that there was a hell, that they had done something wrong, and they couldn't forgive themselves for it. They wouldn't talk about it necessarily, but they were very afraid that something bad was going to happen to them. But so observing them over all these stages of the dying process, I saw them, though, move from fear into the very final stage of dying, which is the last two to three days before a person dies, where they really go into a comatose state. And I saw those patients suddenly relax for the first time. And I saw their fear begin to dissipate. And I have to really believe that they were having experiences in that time that were telling them, it, it's okay, it's going to be okay. And you, they're, you're not going to hell. There's something good that's happening and you can let go of the fear. Mm. I get questioned somewhat regularly by one particular individual in my life who uh, wants to know if there's an afterlife. And the only answer that I can give her is, <laughs> now I'm in trouble because of what I said earlier about what beliefs are. Um, I believe <laughs> that, that there is something else. Now, but I, I try to put her mind at rest by saying, look, if there isn't anything after this, you're not going to know it. Because there's nothing after this. <laughs> exactly. But my, yeah, but my intellect, my logical brain that was given to me by some higher power somewhere, I think that's how it worked, uh, tells me that this life would make absolutely no sense whatsoever if there weren't something else after this. It would be so illogical as to to confound science to say there's nothing else, you know? Now, yeah. but then again, if there's nothing else, I'm never going to know. <laughs> I'm never going to yeah. know it. <laughs> that's true. You, you will never be proven wrong. Because... <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But, but if we just look at energy alone, energy cannot be created or destroyed. And so our our spiritual essence, the, our energy is not going to die. Our, our physical form will, these cells will, but the actual energy that uh, animates this physical form won't die. And it makes sense that some, I mean, on the one hand, you could say, well, bury me in the ground and my energy will, will turn into a tree or a flower or grass. That's one way of looking at that. But I also believe that our consciousness it just doesn't make sense to me that it would just die and be snuffed out. We're connected to the consciousness of the whole universe. Yeah. Why would we be part of that only to be to be eliminated at some point? Yeah, I, I, I think my first response, well, probably my last response, 
<laughs> if suddenly I knew, oh my God, there's nothing left, would be, what the hell, man? <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? I went through a hundred years of life and having uh, the knowledge, the awareness that my life has meaning, and I could have spent the entire time raping, pillaging, and plundering because my life had no meaning. <laughs> and of course, I don't believe that. I do believe that our lives have meaning, that there is something beyond this. We've had uh, guests on this program talk about, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this or not, it's called LBL, Life Between Lives. And this is mm -hmm. more along the lines of those who believe in reincarnation. <clears throat> but I have, there's a practitioner here in Santa Barbara I went to see. I've had him on the program. And he took me through one of the uh, fully conscious hypnosis sessions. And it was great. Oh, my gosh. My last life. He took me through my last life up to my death and then what I experienced after, before I came into this one. And it was fascinating. I'm living on the prairie. I had a farm and a big barn and all this kind of stuff. And I was just doing great in a small town nearby that I could walk to or ride to or what have you. And then one day, uh, the, 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 the grass, the, 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 the farm burned and the barn went to, went to ash. Uh, okay. And it wasn't by anybody's hand. It, was, it just happened. Uh, maybe a lightning strike for all I know. Uh, but I had a cabin up in the mountains. So I went up to the cabin in the mountains and I stayed there for I don't know how long. And then uh, I went out onto the porch, sat down in my comfortable chair out there on the porch, put my feet up on the, on the rail. And I said, it's been a good life. And I left. I just left. Hmm. And I thought, oh, could I have that life again, please? That exactly. was wonderful. You know, um, it didn't bother me that the burn barn burned down or that the crops were destroyed or anything like that. It just happened. You know, nobody's to blame. It's that's life. You know, that's the way it goes sometimes. Ups and downs. Ups. I love the Chinese story about the the farmer and his son and the neighbor who comes oh, yeah. over every day. You're familiar with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that story. Who says whether it's good or bad? Who says whether it's good or bad? You know, and I think that's one of the processes that I look at when I think about transitioning when my time comes. I don't know when, I, you know, and quite honestly, it doesn't really matter. I've told people this many times that uh, <clears throat> if today were my day, okay, uh, and I walked out and I don't, you know, I say got hit by a bus. So I'm looking both ways every time I cross the street just to make sure there's no bus coming. For the bus. Yeah. Uh, you know, the old, uh, you know, uh, uh, philosophy in regards to um, uh, what we were talking about before. Oh, uh, the um, uh, uh, law of attraction. So I do not want to attract a bus other than to ride it on the inside. Um, I'm okay with that. I'm good to go because, you know, I, I just, I just am. Uh, is there more I want to do? Oh, absolutely there is. But I've done a lot already and I'm hoping that, uh, that folks take notice. Uh, not so much of me but of what I have brought to, to teach them, if you will. Mm -hmm. and, and you've done the same. You, you have been doing the same thing for, uh, for the people that you have been helping through the healing work that you do. Um, now, I'm curious as to that healing work of yours. Is it, 
is it orthodox slash traditional? Is it uh, uh, alternative, uh, naturopathic, homeopathic, et cetera? How would you describe the type of work that you do in facilitating people's healing? Well, I'm I'm now retired from hospice work, and hospice itself is kind of a blend of there's some traditional medicine in there, but a lot of it, depending on who the practitioner is, it's very spiritual work with patients, and uh, hospices use a lot of alternatives to help patients be comfortable because that's the whole purpose of hospice is just to support people as they're at the end of life and help them be comfortable and meet whatever needs they have. So that work um, in particular, it tends to, to be a combination of body, mind, and spirit, and alternative remedies if that's what's needed and would be helpful to the patient. So since I've left medical practice, now I do a lot. I do writing, and I have a podcast of my own and speaking. And I would say my focus is really on bringing spiritual reality into medicine, into healthcare, and trying to help people understand the spiritual dimensions of life and even helping other doctors understand that when they're working with patients that they're leaving out the most some of the most important parts of a patient by not being aware of of mind and spirit and the importance for physical health if medicine only focuses on the physical it's it's completely missing out on on two other more important aspects of health, I believe. Mm. So my focus is much more on education right now uh, rather than doing one-on-one work with people. How has your personal philosophy changed over the years of uh, helping and serving people? Well, I I, re- I learned a lot, as I've talked, we've talked about quite a bit, about forgiveness and the fact that you know, I, I understood that I used to be a fairly vindictive person oh. and I held on to I held on to a lot of resentments toward people in the past. So I learned right away through my hospice patients that, that that wasn't good. So I started focusing daily on on just forgiving and letting go of things, um, which has helped me so much. And then also the idea of being present in every moment and just whether I'm, you know, if I'm going for a walk down the street to notice the flowers in my neighbor's yard and feel the sunshine on my skin and, and even the asphalt under my feet and just be aware in every moment of how beautiful the world is and life is in every moment and taking that in and letting go of worrying about COVID and worrying about everything else that's happening in the world, but focusing on where I am right now and how amazing this moment is. So it's really made my whole life so much richer, just being able to go Mm. from one moment to the next, focusing in on the beauty that's there. That's cool. You know, uh, and again, these are human observations on my part, uh, as I have uh, gone through the last few years. And I mentioned Donald Trump earlier and the three phases I went through. And... I have to say that there are two things that uh, I experienced just recently. Uh, Yesterday, I happened to be watching TV, and all of a sudden, this press conference came up. And I'm listening to the words. (laughs) I'm listening to the words coming out of your mouth. (laughs) And I thought, oh, my God. 
he's blaming everybody again. He's blaming this person for this thing and that group for that thing. I said, oh my! And I, I, five minutes and I had to turn it off. It was so disheartening. But I'll tell you, one of the reasons why I couldn't listen to that anymore, part of it was I was watching coverage of the Phoenix rally that he held a few weeks back. And set aside all of the appearance, all of the stuff that was there, I was hurt. I felt hurt. Now, as a kid growing up in school, I was bullied. All right. So I suppose on the one hand, at least I was shown some attention, right? (laughs) That's one way to look at it. I was hurt while I was watching the coverage and they had a, a, a an anchor sitting in the back there talking about what was going on and so forth. And what struck me was I wanted someone in high authority that I could go to and say, hey, you know, I'm I'm a little unnerved about all the stuff that's going on and I really need some reassurance and some comfort, uh, you know, almost the father figure kind of thing. And I knew I wasn't going to get it there, but that's where I wanted to get it from. And it, would, it was almost the kind of feeling, and I've never had this feeling, get, okay? It's almost the kind of feeling you might get if your father were to disown you. If you had a great relationship and all of a sudden he disowned you. And it's like I didn't feel like I belonged. And this has nothing to do with politics. I'm talking on a human-to-human level. And that's, I think, one of the things that I think a lot of people are not understanding with relationships, sometimes with the dying, sometimes with the living until 120, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, and all of the people in their lives is that we all just kind of want to belong. I even became a a member of the Baha'i faith for a year and a half back in the early 90s because I needed a group to belong to and they accepted me and they embraced me a year and a half later i realized i was i would be joining under false pretenses because i certainly at that point did not believe you join a philosophy to belong <laughs> you join a philosophy because you like that philosophy and i did i absolutely did but the overriding was what i felt was was uh, was um, not not it wasn't an appropriate reason for for joining Needless to say, what are your what are the thoughts of maybe did you ever interview any of the family members of these individuals in hospice? Maybe in that kind of sense where here's this relative laying there in that bed who is getting all of this attention. uh, And they just have to sit there and watch. They feel maybe left out. Uh, yes, I think that's definitely one dynamic in families uh, as as they're as they're going through this process with with a loved one. Also, sometimes feeling like we, there are all these needs we have, all these things we'd love to talk about, or things we need to work through and work out, but we can't bring them up because the person that we need to connect with is dying right now. And there isn't a way of, of connecting with them and a way of getting our needs met anymore. So family members go through a lot of grief at that time over 
everything that they're they're losing and maybe something they've never even had, but they were hoping they would have. You know, maybe it's something they didn't have that closeness before, mm -hmm. but they were hoping they might have it. And they have to grieve the fact that now time is running out and maybe that won't happen. Yeah. And what I'm hoping is that there will be those listening who will understand I, I have no hatred. I may not agree politically, but I'm talking about on a human level. You know, it would be like uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Karen Wyatt uh, suddenly hangs up on Zoom. It's like, oh, what the hell was that? You know, because <laughs> she's had enough. She's just had enough. <laughs> uh, and it happens. I mean, there, mm -hmm. there are people who just they click out. I, my wife, my present wife is still good friends with her ex. I'm not so fortunate. Because she just, I, I, I can't communicate. I, I, I don't know what to say, you know. And plus, it's kind of depressing sometimes to get on the phone and, and just hear the same old stories over and over and over again. And I just, I don't know, is that a lack of compassion or a level of protection that I don't want to go down that road, you know. So mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, I, I'd like, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I think we have to have our boundaries. And so we have to know, like sometimes the most loving thing to do for a person is actually to stay away from them because sometimes the relationship itself is toxic enough to both of you that reconnecting isn't going to serve either one of you. And I think that's part of having a healthy boundary and knowing when it, this isn't, this just isn't going anywhere. And so you can bring your energy and attention somewhere else, um, to something that's more productive and maybe like letting go of as much, um, ill will or bad feelings as you can within yourself, but maybe being around that person or talk to them is not going to serve you in that, in that process. What is, be it one of the seven or some other lesson that you personally took away from this that that really impacted you? Um, I would say, I mean, I, I mentioned it before, this idea of of living in the present moment, but of really coming to appreciate after seeing patients with terrible, terrible illnesses and suffering, you know, some patients who had been bedridden for a year, some patients with terrible cancers and being in pain all the time, and seeing how much they loved and appreciated life at that point, and really feeling embarrassed that I, up to that point, had often kind of either hated my life or did not appreciate my life. You know, just took things for granted and didn't really appreciate what a gift it is. And when I saw how these people who are, who've been suffering for a long time still are so grateful for every moment of life, I felt embarrassed and ashamed that I was living my life small and in a judgmental sort of way and ungrateful way. And so that really shifted for me at that point to just wow, I'm the luckiest person I know. How could I ever feel bad about anything that happens to me? I hear you. You know, it's interesting, too, because here you are. You are a person who is opening themselves up and exposing yourself to these different feelings and emotions and so forth. And 
it's one of those things that becomes, I, I think, quite a, an endearing quality that people really do admire because I haven't heard you say once during this interview that it was somebody else's fault that has were there still blame was there still blaming going on on the part of these these folks uh, uh, as to why they were the way they were and where they were or were they all pretty much they're owning up to hey this was my life I did the best I could with it there you go I would say there was for a time. And so there were patients who, when I saw earlier on in the process, the dying process, who still had a, a lot of blame. And that's one of the things they tended to work through is, is understanding that this is the life I've been given. This is my life and, and what I have to be given. But I, there were some who probably, who did go to their death still feeling feeling some of that blame and judgment for other people who didn't make it all the way there to, uh, to just accepting life as it is. Mm. Well, I am thrilled uh, that we have all, many of us have reached that phase. I mean, I went, I went through the 80s going through different uh, uh, personal growth programs. One of them was in 1981 called LifeSpring. It was apparently a, an off-growth, outgrowth of Est. I didn't go through Est. I went through LifeSpring. And then in the nine, and of course that back then it was blame the parents. Mm -hmm. Blame the family. It was their fault you were the way you were. In the 90s, we began to take a little more responsibility. There was still a little bit of the codependence, but that started to shift into interdependence uh, and so forth and so on. And we began to take responsibility for why we were the way we were and so on and so forth. And here we are 2020 some now 30 years hence and we're right back to victimhood again. And it's like, mm -hmm. I do not want to go through this again. I'm not going to blame him for where I'm at and why I am doing what I'm doing. I'm not going to blame that group for who I am and uh, what my life is all about. I'm not going to blame anybody else. As a matter of fact, I'm not even going to blame myself. I will take responsibility. And I joke with, I, I even came up with this when I was working for the Christian station, a doctor, where, you know, you, you, they, say, they say it's appointed for every man uh, uh, once to die and then the judgment. I mentioned that earlier. And I thought about the day of judgment where I stand before God. And people say, well, what are you going to say? I says, well, what are you going to, what can you say? There's nothing you can say or do if, if it's already done, okay? But I came up with this. I said, okay, uh, <clears throat> God, <laughs> um, first of all, there's nothing I can say or do to change your mind because, you know, this, it's, it's all, it's, it's, this is your shtick. But let me just put it this way. Uh, you created me, and I did the very best with the, the life that you gave me. Now, if it doesn't measure up, you're going to do with me what you're going to do with me. Okay? So uh, that's, that's really kind of the end of the story right there. And I just, because it's like, what, what are you going to do? How, how, can you, how can you defend your life? Yeah, I still love the, the Albert Brooks and uh, Meryl Streep movie, uh, mm -hmm. something along the lines of defend your life or something like that. 
and he's freaking out because he thinks he's being judged and she is having the greatest time in yeah. the world to be her, you know? And th- th- that's really kind of where I come from. Hey, <laughs> I did everything I could. I, I did the best I could. Um, did I make mistakes? You know what? I'm going to say no. I learned. I learned throughout my entire life. I learned how I did not want to behave. I learned how I wanted to be treated so I would treat people that way and so on and so on. Um, Success and failure I'm trying to obliterate from my vocabulary because of the whole concept of duality. I'm just not. They're experiences. They're not they're not failures or Mm -hmm. they're not successes. Look at look at they say they use the example of uh, I use the example of uh, Edison and the light bulb. Someone asked him, so how many times did you fail? He says, I never failed. He says, well, you got 999 different versions out there. He says, yeah, I found 999 ways the light bulb didn't work. I didn't fail. (laughs) So it's a learning process. And if we were to obliterate those words from our vocabulary and start the process of learning instead of pass fail or grading our performance in life, I don't know. I have a feeling that the responses that you received from these folks, and how many were there that you interviewed? Well, it was, um, I mean, over time, I cared for hundreds of patients. So I really took, I just took stories and lessons, a little piece here and there, Mm -hmm. probably from all of them, really. All right. Um, Well, then we'll say hundreds. Um, They might have had a whole different a uh, whole different take on their lives and the life to come, mm-hmm. whatever that is. It would have been totally different. And still just, I, in my opinion, still just as inspiring, still just as uplifting. Man, I made it through. And what is that other, there's another uh, uh, description of um, uh, coming to the end of your life. I mean, it's not that you're supposed to live your life safely, uh, that you should have, what was what is it? Uh, a glass of champagne in one hand. And I think it's it's like a, a a box of chocolates in the other, something like that. And you are skidding into home place, kicking up as much dust as you possibly can, and sliding into home plate at the end of your of your life, saying, "Wow, what a ride!" You know. I like that idea. Or putting your feet up on the railing while you sit back in the chair <laughs> on your cabin and saying, "I love it." It's been a good life. <laughs> Dr. Karen Wyatt, I thank you so much for joining us here on the program and for sharing uh, all of this great, great stuff with our uh, with us here on Tell Me Your Story. Uh, I have three final questions for you, and before I let you go, I do want to uh, invite you, when we're uh, able to move around much more freely, to... Uh, uh, come out to Santa Barbara, and uh, we'll we'll uh, do this in studio across a, a counter. Hopefully, we don't have to six. We don't have to socially distance, but you know we'll work that out, and um, continue this conversation because I know that there's a lot more than these lessons. Because I would love to, uh, so to speak, pick your brain in terms of some of the modalities that you have chosen over the years that you have found the most beneficial for your patients. And again, I know that you are, you're now retired, uh, but I know that there were certain things that, Hey, some things that worked well and other things that didn't. But then again, everybody's an individual and you know, that's the way that goes. But before we let you go and before I ask you those three questions, 
I need to let our listeners know that this program is here every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at richarddugan.com. The podcast broadcast is on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and uh, Blueberry. I knew there was another one. And we thank you so much for supporting us financially. And if you can do so, we have PayPal and Patreon accounts for your security as well as ours. And we thank those who have supported us and we thank those who will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And to the three final questions that I like to ask all of my guests, you may have answered them during the interview, but I like to ask them directly. The first is, who is Karen Wyatt? Hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I would say I'm, I'm a spiritual being who, who came here kind of with a mission to do what I could to share the knowledge that I have, maybe that I've acquired in other lifetimes to bring it to the planet and in hopes of alleviating some of the suffering here. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I hope to I hope to keep writing books because I have more books in my head and I'd like to get those written and to keep spreading messages of love and hope and oh, helping people overcome fear um, for every moment that I have left of my life. And finally, what is your life's purpose? I, I believe that it is to learn ultimately about love, to learn how to give and receive love. And I learn more and more about it every day, including loving the unlovable and loving the hard parts of life as well. Hmm. Dr. Karen Wyatt, and she has shared with us uh, a great uh, set of uh, lessons, seven of them, as a matter of fact, seven lessons for living from the dying. And it is how to nurture what really matters. Uh, my thanks again to you. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast, love to lol.